Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development program that changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to message number five in this series about the coming king. And today we're talking about the lamb on the throne. Man, I had such a hard time coming up with a title for this message because it covers so many important things. And we just got 27 minutes to say everything I want to say about it. So so let me just jump into this. You know, one of the things I'm convinced of is that justice uh, or the expectation of justice is one of the things that brings incredible hope and incredible peace to people who are facing injustice. And one of the problems that we face as believers is that we have come to believe in uh, really a concept of God that is very uh, humanistic, uh, is really very unjust, because we really don't see and understand the righteousness of God as it applies to justice. Here's a really interesting scripture in the the book of Revelation. It's always intrigued me. And uh, in Revelation 13, it says in verse 9, it says, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. So, you know, when when Jesus says something like that, you you need to pray for an understanding, because the probability of it is you might hear it audibly, but that doesn't mean you're going to hear what it really means. And so he's getting ready to present something here that obviously we would have great difficulty understanding. He says, he who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. And here is the patience and the faith of the saints. You know, you read that scripture, and, and, and you know, you, you hear people talk about how that an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth is going to is just going to make a lot of blind people be walking through the earth. And and really, there, there's so many things about the justice of God that, that because we don't believe the truth about God, we don't believe in God's wisdom, we don't believe in God's fairness, uh, we have become so lawless that we think our understanding of fairness and justice is better than God's. But the truth is, our world gets more and more wicked uh, the more we move away from the justice system that, that God presents. You know, in the justice system that God presents, basically what is supposed to happen is that any crime that a person commits against a person, not see, we think that it's all about crime against the state. No, a crime is committed against a person. It's not against the state, it's against the person. And so if someone steals from you, uh, the sentencing, not only is that they have to pay it back, but they have to pay it back uh, several times over uh, to compensate for what for your losses, for your for your inconvenience, but also they need a lesson that shows them it is more costly to steal than it is to work. As a matter of fact, the way the justice system of God works is someone attempts to sue you, and it turns out that they are wrong or that they are false, that they have to pay you the amount that they were trying to uh, get 
out of you or to, to uh, steal from you through a false lawsuit. And so whatever crimes that a person commits against someone, uh, their penalty should at least be the equivalent of the crime and sometimes the equivalent of the crime with a penalty or an interest payment of some kind uh, on top of it. Now, see, we don't believe in that kind of justice. We don't even believe in an injustice committed against individuals. Now it's an injustice against the state. And then the real truth is if we want justice, if we want a compensation for what's stolen from us. You know, so, some years ago, we had someone steal uh, tens of thousands of dollars, an account steal tens of thousands of dollars from our ministry. We never got it back. We never got any of it back. And uh, now, now the state got paid for the court fees and all that kind of stuff, but we never got anything back. And so, so there is no justice in the judicial system as it operates now. And so one of the things that the writer of Revelation is saying, of course, John wrote it, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he's saying one of the things that's going to bring you patience, and one of the things that's going to bring you some hope, and one of the things that's going to bring you some comfort is these people that bring the tribulation on the earth, which is going to be, which is going to be all of the anti-God people, all the people that reject God's justice, God's fairness, all the people who reject God's morals, values, and ethics as the standard for peace and life, all of these people are going to pay the price that they tried to extract on you. If they persecuted the world with the sword, they're going to die by the sword. If they, whatever they did, that is going to be their sentencing. Now, see, the problem is we have become so humanistic uh, as a church that we just do not believe in justice. And I'll tell you, one of the reason, reasons heaven is going to be in heaven is going to, or let me put it this way. Uh, first, one of the reasons the millennium is going to be a time of peace is because God's justice will be invoked once again. We, the world will be ruled by the commandments of God. But, but one of the, there's so many reasons we don't get that, and there's so many reasons that we don't live that way and have, a, have that judicial system. We'll talk about that in the next message on the government of God. But I want you to understand something. Uh, we have a hard time even believing in a Savior that can actually bring about justice. And I, I'm, I'm convinced that what most believers believe about Jesus will make it impossible for them to find hope and find an expectation of justice uh, as the days become more and more and more wicked. You know, we talked about this back in the first message in this series uh, called uh, uh, The Manger, The Cross, or The Throne. And, and we talked about the fact that the great majority of believers do not see Jesus as he is, do not believe in him as he is. And in fact, uh, we have done, we are guilty of doing exactly what the Jews did the first time Jesus came. The Jews did not want to uh, have a suffering Messiah. They didn't want to believe in, in uh, the Savior who was going to come and die for the sins of the world. They rejected him. They wanted a military leader that was going to come back, back and break the back of Rome and, uh, and rule the world from Israel. That's the same way the church is today. The church has become so humanistic, we do not want, we don't believe in uh, uh, the Lamb who is going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. We still want to see him. You know, there was a movie back several years ago. I don't know if it was good or bad or nasty. I, I don't know, but it's called Talladega Nights. And 
and I've seen a few excerpts from it. And uh, and, and the expert excerpts every time every time the star of, of the main character in the movie, which was a race car driver, Ricky Bobby, it's called Talladega Nights. Every time he would pray, he would say, "Dear Lord, Baby Jesus," and that's the way he would address. Uh, the Lord, you know what? I, I'm convinced there's a lot of people that have a picture of Jesus in the manger, a picture of, of of the Lord baby Jesus, or a picture of the dying, suffering Messiah. And we don't understand that, you know, there is a multidimensional concept of who God is. And, and most of us just have one way of being able to see God. We can't see God as being merciful and being uh, just. We can't see God as being love, but having wrath. We can't see God um, really the way the Bible presents him because we need for him to be uh, how we see and how we want him to be. And really, uh, you know, the real truth is, and, and golly, we could spend so much time on this, but I don't even meet many people anymore that believe in the millennial, that believe Jesus is going to come back personally and actually overthrow the Antichrist and his armies and establish his kingdom here on earth. And so, so this is, causes all kinds of strange doctrines to emerge. There is a belief that really is not going to be Jesus who's going to come back and conquer the Antichrist and, and conquer the kingdoms of this world and rule over them. Uh, but it's going to be the church. So somehow, somehow the church who has never in 2,000 years got its act together in morals and ethics and values and certainly not in justice, somehow this church is suddenly going to wake up and, and we're going to rule in justice and take over the world. And so really then Jesus is not going to be the Savior. We're going to be the Savior. and We're going to win the world. And we're going to hand this world to God. And that's and so, so the whole idea of a millennium uh, uh, rule, a thousand-year rule and reign of the Lord Jesus Christ is just really totally rejected and uh, uh, considered to be a bunch of allegorical teaching. It's kind of interesting. In Second Thessalonians, uh, the second chapter, and go back. I really encourage you to go back and read this because this is where this is where we have the, one of the most direct mentions of the rapture. Now, Jesus mentions the rapture. The book of Revelation mentions the rapture. Thessalonians mentions the rapture. Uh, there, there are several uh, indirect uh, inferences to the rapture. But Second um, Thessalonians is one of these places where it's very direct, and we talked about that in last week's message. But, but in the sequence of events that we went through last week that, that was going to happen before the coming of the Lord, we have this one event that is going to happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed as he is, and, uh, and he is going to conquer the Antichrist, all of his kingdoms, and he's going to destroy all those who have put themselves in league with Antichrist. You say, that's, that's inhuman. That is not merciful. That doesn't fit with my with my doctrine of grace or mercy or peace or whatever. Well, you know something, maybe, maybe you need to consider changing your doctrine. Because if Jesus does not come back and intervene, then the real truth is evil will take over the world and millions and millions and millions of people will be isolated from God and spend eternity separated from God. But, uh, you know, I'm not going to go back and read all the 
th- sequence of events that we talked about in last week's message. But in, in verse 8 in chapter 2, it comes down to this, is then the lawless one is going to be revealed. And remember, the lawless one, lawlessness is the rejection of God's laws and commandments as the standard for morals, values, ethics, love, righteousness. And in other words, every everything that we need in the world today is only understood when we when we accept God's law and God's commandments based on the intention and the motive that he had. Now, the law that is not motivated by love and value for God and for other people is is not going to be true. It's not going to be just. It's not going to be honest. The law that doesn't have the commandments that doesn't have the intention of bringing people and the world back into harmony with God as it was at the creation is never going to be just. It's never going to be fair. It's never going to be about helping people. And so when you talk about the law and the commandments, and I see these folks all over Facebook now, all of a sudden, everybody's trying to get us to go back under the law and the commandments. Well, number one, the law and the commandments never offered us righteousness. They never offered us freedom. They never offered us any of the things that we have in Jesus. What they did offer, you know, the word law, one of the best understandings of the word law is signposts. That would be a great uh, interpretation or translation of the word law. And the law is a signpost that lets us know if, in fact, our standards, our morals, our values, our ethics, our concepts of love, relationships, child raising, money management, all that kind of stuff, whether or not it is in harmony with God and uh, and if it's not in harmony with God, it cannot accomplish God's purpose uh, for the human race. So, so everything about this, what's happening in the world today, everything, all the corruptions happening in the world, every bit of it is about lawlessness. It's about rejecting God's word and ultimately rejecting God. But anyhow, so the lawless one is revealed. And here's what it says in verse 8. It says, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. You know, we read a scripture like that, and honestly, it is just beyond our comprehension. It's just beyond, sometimes it's beyond our theological belief. Sometimes it's beyond uh, how we want to see Jesus. We've got this prejudicial way that we, do, that we want to see Jesus. We don't want to see him as he is. And and sometimes we read these types of we, we read these types of of descriptions of how God's going to do something, and it's like that just doesn't even make sense. So the whole idea that you're going to have the Antichrist who is going to have armies with with jets, with fighters, with cannons, with missiles, with all kinds of weapons of war that is suppressing the entire earth. And so what Jesus is going to breathe on them, and somehow or another that's that's going to uh, destroy them. You know, we, we can't even wrap our head around that. Well, you know, when you, again, and, and the reason for this is because the church doesn't teach the scripture. They teach, they teach interpretations of the New Testament, uh, independent of the scripture, what we call the Old Testament. Therefore, we never understand it. We change it and make it into anything that we want to make it into. In the book of Exodus, chapter 19, we have this story of uh, the children of Israel coming out of Egypt, coming out of the world, and, uh, and they go to Mount Sinai, where Moses goes up on the mountain, gets the commandments, and, uh, and God 
wants to communicate with the people. And, and of course, in the English, it gets into this whole concept that Moses goes up there, and then on the third day, there were these thunderings and these lightnings and this thick cloud on the mountain and the sound of a trumpet that was just incredibly, incredibly loud. And, and, and so you have, you have God speaking back, and we get this idea that basically they're just seeing lightning and thunder and clouds, and, 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 and that's, that's really all that they're seeing. But the real truth is, when we look at this closer, we understand what this is referring to as thunderings and lightning is actually God speaking. As a matter of fact, and, and I, you know, I, I wish I had an hour to go into this, the Bible presents this concept that many times in the Old Testament, when God did speak, there were flashes of light. Uh, there were what sounded like thunderings, but these are descriptive words that kind of have more to do with the effect that it had on people uh, than literally describing what happened. But one of the things that's really interesting is as you go through the, the scripture, you see that there are times that the children of Israel literally saw the voice of the Lord, and they saw the voice of the Lord during these times when the only words that could be used to uh, describe what they were hearing was thunderings and lightnings. In Deuteronomy 32, 41, it's kind of interesting, and you see this kind of terminology several times. You see where, where God talks about uh, his glistening sword, and, his, and he says, and my hand takes hold on judgment, and I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. And so and so he uses this word about a glistening sword. And so you start realizing that these thunderings and these lightnings, you know, I, I can't say with certainty everything that I sense about this, but the thunderings were a demonstration of how powerful it was to hear God's words. And this glistening, if you will, that they described like lightning was literally the words that he spoke. You know, you have another situation in 1 Samuel chapter 7, where the Philistines came up and came to battle against the children of Israel. It says, uh, it says in verse 10, but the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And of course, the children of Israel beat them back. And down in verse 13, it says, the Philistines were subdued. They did not come anymore into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel the prophet. And so you start realizing, well, wait a minute. This is God not only speaking this victory for the children of Israel, but the fact that he was speaking these things out of a mouth and a heart of faith, out, uh, uh, like he did when he created the world, but because he spoke them from his heart, because he spoke them in faith and expectancy, they fulfilled his intention of actually delivering power like weapons of war. So the idea that uh, Jesus is actually going to not just subdue, but destroy the Antichrist and his followers by the brightness of his coming 
and by what's and by the breath of his mouth that word breath has to do with uh, with speaking as much as it does with anything so so suddenly you realize that Jesus is going to come back and uh and the lamb of god who we want to see him as helpless we want to see him as humanistic we want to see him as defenseless we want to see him uh whatever way we want to see him. We want to see him as baby Jesus in the manger. We want to see him as not having power. But no, the lamb is going to display his wrath. And here's what's so very interesting. The lamb himself is going to deliver the battle, win the war. It is not going to be the church because, because listen, the world's already so out of control, the church is never going to win this battle. And besides that, we were never commissioned to go out here and uh, and take over industry. I, now, yes, I think the church should have. Uh, I, I think believers should have been the leaders of industry. We should have been the leaders of business. We should have been the leaders of government. But sadly, you know, you look you look in Washington right now, and uh, you know, you know, yesterday a a bill was passed. That uh, that will that will create a budget that's bigger than the entire national debt of the United States has been combined from the first day we became a country to now. We'll never be able to pay it back. It, it funds all kinds of corrupt laws and this sort of thing, and our kids will forever be taxed. Our economy will collapse. And uh, and the real truth is, most of those people that voted for the for that bill would tell you they are Christians. They are some version of what they think Christianity is. Christianity is never going to rise up and take over the governments of the world. It's never going to rise up and take over industry. But I'll tell you what what it can do. It it can captivate a person's heart so that individuals can rise up and live in righteousness and. Yes, if we had done our job and we had the opportunity, yes, we would probably have godly people leading the nations of the world, but we don't. We have the violent and the corrupt and the vile leading the nations of the world. And so our, our role is to win individuals to the world and really hasten the return of the Lord. That's kind of interesting thing. The Bible talks about hastening the day of the Lord or the return of the Lord, which means we have some influence in when Jesus can and will return. And so uh, I hope we'll be able to get into that to some some degree, but but we'll see. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk very specifically about what is going to bring about the coming of the king. But I want you to understand, and you know, in Revelation chapter 6, whenever, man, when the world finally sees that they are not going to overthrow God, and this is something you don't understand. I'm telling you, the average believer is so naive. The church doesn't want to admit that all of this compromise, all of this lawlessness is going to be consummated in a worldwide army that will, in fact, according to the scriptures, attempt to overthrow God. They will, they will declare war first on earth, on, on the church, and then on the nation of Israel, and then they will attempt to overthrow the uh, the the creator of heaven and earth, and I'm I'm telling that is so such demonic deception that it is that it is utter foolishness. But I am telling you that is exactly what's going to happen, 
And, uh, and Jesus has to overthrow those armies or there'll never be a millennium. There'll never be a thousand years of peace. There will never be a time when the human race gets to see what righteousness looks like ruling and reigning here on planet Earth. But, uh, but in, in Revelation 6, man, when, when the world starts realizing they cannot win this battle against the creator of heaven and earth, uh, they begin, it says in verse 16, that they begin to call out to the rocks to fall on them. Now listen, it says they want to hide from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? It was a sad thing. The church has never been able to talk about the righteousness of God without being legalistic and condemning. We've never been able to talk about the justice of God without being unmerciful. We've never been able to talk about the wrath of the Lamb that's going to come and rule and reign in righteousness without, without promoting fear and, and uh, antagonism you know, toward the rest of the world. I want you to understand Jesus is going to come back and he is going to establish justice based on his righteousness, not based on our humanism or our, or our definitions of righteousness. And the expectation of that justice, the expectation of a savior that can actually save us from the most wicked, vile, brutal, bloodthirsty world leader that has ever come on the scene from the worst tribulation that the earth has ever seen. I got news for you. Christians all over the world, they're going to, they're going to get over their humanism. They're going to get over all of this, uh, all of this uh, pasty Jesus uh, laying in a manger and hanging on the cross, and they're, go they're going to want to see the King of kings and the Lord of lords come back and establish righteousness here on the earth. And Revelation 19, I encourage you to read it, verses 11 through 16, talks about how, how that when, when Jesus returns, that, that, that he is called faithful and true, and he's going to, and in righteousness, he's going to judge, and righteousness, he's going to make war, and out of his mouth is going to go a sharp sword that's going to strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. He himself will tread down, tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God. I see most of the time people will read that kind of stuff and get scared to death when we're talking about the fierceness of the wrath of God. No, this is when we realize that God only used wrath when it is an absolute essential in order to in order to deliver the innocent. And you know that is the number one goal of God's justice is to protect and to deliver the innocent. So I got news for you. Jesus is—he's not a baby in a manger. He's not a—he uh, he is not a suffering savior hanging on a cross. He is a King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He has given the earth uh, and the rulers of the earth a couple thousand years to come into the realization of who He is and how we could have justice on the earth. And He's going to come back, and He's going to establish it. And the great thing is, for a thousand years. We're going to get to see how great the earth could have been if we had only rule and reign in justice the way the scripture says. You know, I hope you're getting, I, I, I hope you're not getting something negative out of this. I hope you understand the coming king is going to come and deliver us from all of this injustice that has happened all across the world and establish true peace on earth for 1,000 years. And uh, so we got a reason to hope. We got expectation. We know we're going to be delivered. We know 
who the winners are going to be at the end of this. We know a justice-loving, fair, and merciful God is go out of his mercy, is going to deliver us, and is going to conquer those who seek to destroy us. Man, I hope you enjoy this. Uh, be sure and check us out at impactministries.com. Become a world changer. Help us take this message to the ends of the earth. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com or drjimrichards.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website from previous broadcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.